Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit. Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday from awesomeo.com. This is the college football, I guess it's week 11, show. We're going to break down some DFS. I'm going to talk a little betting. You know the drill. Myself, Ben Raza, here with Matt Gajewski. We had 14 games. We're down to 10. Honestly, Matt, I when I opened the slate, I thought it would be less than 10. It feels like there's not even 10 games to go around. Yeah, man. Uh, one little benefit i guess is i can sleep more so i do appreciate that very much but otherwise yeah it's it's a little bit concerning that they keep getting canceled i hope that we continue to see full slates moving forward i'm i'm cautiously optimistic i guess i'm a little worried uh, about some of these conferences but we're gonna do the best we can we're gonna see i'm gonna try to juggle uh this in the masters we got a lot in the sports world right now it's intense Let's get to it. Um, we got 10 games, which is nice. We can get into th- some things, chat. We can answer your questions. It's good to see everybody. I can give more hot takes, just what everybody wants. All right, here we go. TCU, West Virginia. Let's get things started. West Virginia's at home. They're a three-point favorite, over-under of just 44. Uh, TCU is a, a fan favorite of the show because we're Max Dugan fans. It's not a great spot here, though. What do you think about the Horned Frogs to kick off this slate? Yeah, I think this is probably the worst game environment overall, but I always have interest in Dugan. And I think Dugan really bailed people out last week with the the three rushing touchdowns. Dugan's been someone that's been increasingly difficult to stack on a week-to-week basis. The pass attempts just aren't there for a TCU team that's playing a little bit slower and relying more on their defense lately. It's just a tough game for me to target when we have like three or four games that I'm very excited about. Yeah, I mean, listen, even on a, on a 10, it's not 14 games, but you mentioned we have options. There's really nothing that stands out there. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't blame Tay Barber on a stretch. It's just, it's been a disappointing year. <laughs> it, like he, he's a guy that I really have my eye on and I'm not much to say there. So is, this is, it's fair to say this is a team that you may end up with basically no exposure to. Yeah, I'm definitely blaming Tay Barber. I'm upset with Tay Barber after rostering him like seven straight weeks. He's only, he's only averaging 48 yards per game. I, I don't think it's Tay Barber's fault. He had a really good year last year. He was actually like on pace with Jalen Rieger for most of the year when he wasn't hurt. They're just not using him, and they're using Dugan with his legs. And Dugan, I mean, while he is a good dual threat, he's 329 yards, he's taking so many sacks that it's really limiting that upside. And so it kind of makes him someone that's unlikely to get a 300 yard bonus through the air, unlikely to get a hundred yard bonus on the ground. And then he's not throwing enough to really stack. So he's kind of in no man's land. I really only play him when he's cheap. He's coming up a little bit in price. And just with the opportunity cost this week, I think we're probably looking somewhere else last week. Quarterback was pretty barren. So Dugan was popping a little bit more on the other side of this game. We've got 
Doge, I, I can never pronounce this guy's name, but the guy I want to talk about is Letty Brown, who's legitimately, I mean, we talk about timeshares, four-man rotation. He's taken over the West Virginia backfield. He's 7,900. He's clearly the focal point of the offense. Let's start with him. Uh, do you think he can, you know, have success against TCU's defense, and, and will you pay that price for him? I will pay for Letty Brown if he's going to be active. Last week, he suffered an injury, and they've been very quiet on his status. There's a couple injuries that will really determine the entire outlook of the entire slate. Letty Brown tried to play through it, so I think he'll be okay. Does that mean we see more Alex Sinkfield? I'm not sure. If we get a healthy Letty Brown, he has one of the best roles in the entire country. He's a legitimate bell cow back. He's averaging 24 opportunities per game. That's including the game last week where he saw decreased opportunity because of the injury. I don't know if we get a fully healthy Letty Brown, which makes me a little bit concerned here. If he's okay, so let's play that game a little. If he sits, say he's com- he's just ruled out. What, how popular is Sinkfield? Where does he rank? I mean, is he elevated to just like a plug and play, or is he just a viable pay down option? He would be a plug and play option. They so outside of Letty Brown and Sinkfield, no other running back has touched the ball in three straight weeks. Uh, it, college football is really interesting. Like we will not have this news till an hour or less before kickoff. So a lot of people in college football actually don't make the correct adjust, adjustment. So I don't think Sinkfield will get egregiously owned if he's the lead back. I think it's a huge leverage point. And one of the reasons like college football is such a profitable sport in the long term, if you're actually paying attention, sitting on Twitter at time of lock, you can make these adjustments and get a huge, huge edge in the field. And you know this, Ben, how many times has it, I mean, it's happened to me where I end up with a rostered player who's injured. Oh, I, I mean, it's, it's got elements of golf with six of six, like just getting everyone who's active in college football is a sweat within a sweat. So being on top of that news is key situations like this. If we get clarity, we'll obviously tell the story outside of the backfield. It's been frustrating. They've got a lot of bodies on the outside with Ford Wheaton, right? A handful of other guys, um, people demoted, promoted. Where does the West Virginia passing attack stand for you? Is there anyone that's worth considering? I like the West Virginia passing attack. I, this matchup today kind of sets up as a slower game, more defensive heavy game. West Virginia's actually leaned on their defense a little bit here too, but I don't know how to say his name either. I've been calling him Deggy. Maybe that's incorrect. It sounds right. I don't know, but he's averaging 40 pass attempts per game, just shy of 300 yards through the air each game. So he'll flirt with a 300 yard bonus on a week to week basis. The problem with him is he's almost a lock to get negative rushing yards. He's negative 62 on the year. He's taken 13 sacks already. Doesn't rush himself ever. So you really need him to get that 300-yard bonus to pay off value. Today, he's cheap, a tough matchup against TCU. As far as the receivers go, you mentioned it. They've benched Sam James. That elevated Sean Ryan. But still, even with the clear rotation they have now, Bryce Ford Wheaton's probably their leader, but he's running a route on no more than 70% of dropbacks. And that goes for Winston Wright, Sean Ryan, TJ Simmons, the whole lot of them. Yeah, not like I said, we're starting off. It's the total tells the story. This is one of the lowest on the slate. It's just not a gate, a great game environment. Um, so I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on the betting side. It would be West Virginia or pass. I haven't bet this game, but I, I've kind of backed them a couple of times in Morgantown. Do you have any feel there? Or does this, the three point spread kind of feel right to you? I haven't bet this game either. If I had to pick a side, I'd be in agreement with you. Yeah, I, I don't know how you back TCU on the road here. That's not not the best spot. This is a real interesting game. Used to be like 
my you know growing up this was my favorite game of the year every year uh the the good miami teams going against one of the vic brothers even marcus had his moments there uh but we get miami going into blacksburg Hokies one and a half point favorite at home 68 and a half point total though so this is obviously a game we have to consider and it's for good reason they've got explosive weapons let's start with miami obviously you know dr king has been a huge step up the, the transfer from houston's been great he's mobile he got the 100 yard bonus in a wild he had the double bonus uh against nc state just massive output coming off that game though he's 9300 on this slate some really expensive price tags so start with him what do you think of that price and what do you think of this miami offense i like the miami offense a lot i think they're actually playing a little slower than they should be, or I, mean, I guess than I would have expected because Rhett Lashley, their OC, is an SMU guy where they routinely were running over 80 plays per game and passing. They're about in line with where Rhett Lashley was historically with that SMU team. So D.R. King does get a lot of opportunity, and you mentioned the double bonus. I think he's one of the few quarterbacks on the, I guess, in the entire country that's live for that. He's averaging 261 passing yards. He's also, I guess, Probably behind Hendon Hooker, the best dual threat quarterback on this entire slate. He has 406 rushing yards already. So I think King, if you're paying up at quarterback, makes a lot of sense. He'd be the option I prefer between, I guess it's Hooker and King really above 9K that you're looking at. I I think I'm in agreement with you. I mean, in terms of King, so this is where we kind of have to dig into. And we're talking about this in the NFL with guys like Kyler and certainly Lamar in some extent. Do you look to... When you see a tag this high, do you say to yourself, okay, I got to, I got to pair him up with someone because for him to get there, he needs obviously some passing work. Or do you say at 9,300, the way he really gets there is by running the ball and rushing upside. So I'm just going to use him alone, go against the grain there. How do you kind of contort Miami stacks within this game? I think you can get to Miami stacks pretty easily. None of them are expensive except Mike Harley. And I actually don't think Mike Harley his role in the offense is that much better than someone like Mark Pope or D Wiggins, where you should really be considering him. He's almost three K more than D Wiggins who he D Wiggins. If we want to look at him specifically at four K flat on DraftKings, he tied for the team lead in targets last week. He's running more routes than Mark Pope. He's cheaper than Mark Pope overall average 5.8 targets over Miami's last four games. Pope's at 5.5. The real wild card here is still Brevin Jordan. Brevin Jordan dealt with a shoulder injury earlier this year. And then Manny Diaz comes out, says he's healthy. I was very much interested in playing Brevin Jordan that week, but then he pops for COVID. I don't know if he was a close contact or if he tested positive himself, but Brevin Jordan is their number one pass catcher when healthy. We just haven't seen a lot of him this year. He's 4.6 K. So very affordable option down in that price range. Yeah. I mean, he's a tight end that obviously is going to cause some problems if he plays. I don't know what the status is either, but you have options. I, I certainly like exposure to this game naturally when it's approaching, uh, you know, near 70, Point total on the other side you mentioned hooker 97 man that is pretty i don't want to say egregious because i get it but i don't know if i can get there talk about them do you think they'll have success against miami and then you've got herbert in the backfield they cannibalize each other blackshear obviously some guys on the outside particularly robinson i don't know what to really make of i i think virginia tech obviously is going to put up points i just don't know exactly where they come from I think it'll probably come a lot from the run game. Hendon Hooker's the best dual threat on this slate, in my opinion. He already has 515 rushing yards, and that's with him missing a couple games early to start 2020. He didn't really start full-time until their third game of the year. So he's certainly live for the 100-yard bonus himself. He does add in a fair amount of passing yards, 174 
is his average through the air. So I put him slightly behind King as far as the premier dual threats. I think King just offers you a little more through the air. I think the real question that everyone's waiting for on this slate that, you know, it's pretty hard to build lineups without this information is Khalil Herbert going to be active. So Khalil Herbert left last week's game after the opening kickoff. They do have him as their kick returner. Hamstring injury didn't play at all the rest of the game. Unfortunately, Justin Fuente, their head coach, is not someone who is typically going to give us injury information. And he's someone that could even participate in some gamesmanship in pregame kickoff, have someone like Herbert practicing or at least taking pregame warmups, and then he'll sit. It's a really tough situa- situation to, to evaluate if Herbert's going to be active in pregame warmups. Similar to what we talked about in the first game with Letty Brown, if we get word that, that Herbert is inactive, where does Blackshear fall? Where does he fall against someone like Sinkfield if they were both out? Is he another borderline plug-and-play? I think Herbert is less likely to play than Letty Brown. It's a hamstring injury. Those typically don't improve in a matter of days, as we've seen from numerous NFL teams. And Herbert literally couldn't play a single play after the opening kickoff. I'm not a doctor, so we're going to have to watch pregame warmups still. Raheem Blackshear would immediately enter the conversation with Singfield as probably the two top price-adjusted plays on the slate. I will say, historically, Virginia Tech does use a timeshare running back. They haven't really had a lot of running backs active recently. Even Raheem Blackshear, he's been doubling as a slot receiver for this team up until last week. When they were really banged up, the guy just had to basically handle all the running back opportunities. So I think we could see more Jalen Houston. I still think it'll be Blackshear handling a majority of the work. And at 3.4K, if he sees 15 touches, he's probably just going to be a lock on the slate. Yeah, and I mean, we're going to talk about some lineup construction. Obviously, if we get one or both of these paydowns, you're going to be able to load up. Uh, rarely do we see guys with that type of volume at that price point, um, similar to like Mike Davis tomorrow, which we'll get to tomorrow. Uh, on the outside, you've got Robinson, you've got Turner, you've got Mitchell, who I, another guy I believe he's still sporting a Q tag here. Um, Turner is the cheapest. 4,500 seems more than reasonable. Do you have a primary guy that you prefer to pair with Hooker? It's Mitchell when he's healthy. And again, like I watched the, uh, I guess it was a press conference with Fuente and he just legitimately, legitimately said he didn't know. And when asked if these guys were healthy, he just said, I don't know. So Mitchell will have to see just like Herbert in pregame warmups. Is he out there? He is, he's a tight end, but he's, I guess I would call him the wide receiver one on this team when healthy. Tavian Robinson has taken a backseat in recent weeks to Trey Turner. Trey Turner started the year out banged up, banged up. So I'm not surprised this has actually happened. Trey Turner leads the Hokies outright in receiving at 344 yards, despite seeing fewer targets than Tavian Robinson. So I think he would be the superior stacking option. He's 100 less than Robinson as well. Yeah, I I think that is probably the safest move. Um, It's a good game, though. This is one we'll have to see where the injuries take us, but it's certainly going to be on people's radar, and I I think that's for good reason. Anything else I'll say quickly on the betting side, I don't see – this is a tough game. Um, If Lane Stadium was full – I would probably be backing Virginia Tech, but that's you could say that about a lot of places across the country. It's just hard for these teams. And they are coming off a loss against, I don't know how good Liberty is. They seem pretty good, but uh, it doesn't inspire a ton of confidence. Liberty almost lost to FIU in week one. So they're, well, that's that's not. So basically Jacksonville State's better than Virginia Tech. That's how uh, I legitimately, Jacksonville State is a good FCS team for sure. Um, I don't know how good Liberty actually is overall, and I'm not sure how good... I don't, I don't know. I don't like to play the game well. They played this team, so 
by, I don't know, it's the transitive property. Yeah, transitive property. Yeah, that's a, a tough one for college football. I bet Miami, like, on Monday for this mm-hmm. game. I thought they should be the favorite, and the line hasn't moved a ton. I think there's slight line value on the Miami side, but I don't know. I don't feel great about that bet on Monday. I thought Miami would come in as the favorite. Interesting. Okay, well, that's good to know. Um Big 10. God, I, a lot of games are canceled. This one has survived. And it's an interesting game. Indiana hits the road. They go to Michigan State. Indiana's obviously a pretty good team. They're seven and a half point favorite on the road here. Over under of 52, which is, you know, reasonable. Uh, starts with Penix, their quarterback. I, I don't know what I, I said this week after week. I, I don't know what to do when I when I anticipated him obviously controlling this offense. I really thought there was major upside on his dual threat ability, but it's not happening. Is it going to happen or is this just a new offense that he's running and he's just unwilling or unable to run? He certainly can run. He was recruited as a dual threat and he's played in glimpses early in his career. I believe Penix tore his ACL last year from, or maybe it was two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, he almost was playing above their previous starter, Peyton Ramsey, but I don't know if that's a reason Penix isn't running as much, but he certainly has that ability He hasn't shown it yet. It's really interesting to see him not being used on designed runs. This offense overall, even if we look back a couple of years when Peyton Ramsey was their starter, they were throwing the ball a lot and they were running a lot of plays. So when Peyton Ramsey was like 6K, I wanted to play him as well. Now we have a better signal caller in the offense in Penix, and it's really done wonders for the Indiana team. Obviously, they're winning a bunch of games against quality opponents. Penix, I think, is still playable at 7.2K. We're starting to see his price increase and for good reason. I do like Penix and Stacks again. So we'll get to the backfield in a second, but I just want to continue that thought. His price going up, but his receivers to me seem more than reasonable. Lob Filer, 61, the whatever that guy's name is, 4,700, and then Hendershot <laughs> at 43. All three of the weapons um, to, to me are, are pretty viable. Could you double up there? I mean, ha, how do you do it? I, to, obviously, Filer's the, the most expensive, and I think that's for good reason. But you have two guys in the 4K range as well. You absolutely can. I This game, I think there's questions with, do you want to load up fully? Does it have the ability to shoot out like the Virginia Tech game, like the UNC game, like the USC game? And those are questions we'll have to ask ourselves. There's a bit of opportunity cost with four totals hovering around 70 points. So as far as full stacking, I'm not sure I'm getting there, but I do like Watt Filer. I do like Ty Fry Fogel for the reasons you mentioned. They're running so many plays and passing the ball so much that the volume is just, it exceeds their price points on DraftKings. Even Filer at 6.1K, he had 18 targets last week. He's their slot receiver. He'll be the number one. Fry Fogel has 26 targets through three games. That's a 25% target share. He's averaging 75 receiving yards. And he's also a downfield threat. So he's he's the guy that's going to catch those deep over-the-top targets. That's 8.7 targets per game at 4.7K. Even if you want to go a little bit cheaper, Hendershot's a really athletic tight end. He's a big-bodied tight end as well, 250 pounds. He actually runs in the slot a fair amount, which creates a lot of mismatches for opposing teams, as we've seen, because this guy had 52 catches for over 600 yards receiving just last year alone. I mean, there's a lot to like there. Last guy on the Indiana side. Miles Marshall, um, he's sub 4K. You know, you have your article that's posted. Obviously, that thing is massive, and he is in there. Where does is he? He's obviously the cheapest. Do you use him for salary relief? But with these running backs, do we need a guy like that? Does he have merit at 3,800? We might need him. It'll all depend, I think, on Blackshear and Sinkfield. 
but 3,800, I kind of compare him to, I don't know, maybe like a Russell Gage in the NFL where he's attached to a really efficient offense. He's clearly the number three or four receiving option if you include the tight end, but he's on the field for over 90% of dropbacks. He's only been active in two of their three games, but he had five targets in each of those games. If you're just looking for a guy who gets five targets below 4K, he's a pretty solid option. So that's obviously the passing attack. Let's go back, though, because Indiana, as I mentioned, they're a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, And normally, game script, if it goes according to plan, will be late in this game. They're leaning on the run. Stevie's got 20-plus carries in every game so far. Hasn't hit the bonus yet, but he's finding the end zone, four touchdowns. Where does he fall in terms of how you how you want to attack Michigan State? I've been playing Stevie Scott every single week as leverage off this past game. It hasn't exactly worked. I know he finally scored a touchdown last week. All of the ancillary stats are there for Stevie Scott. He's their clear bell cow. He has at least 20 carries in three straight games. Every game this year, he has 20 carries or more. Yep. This is a lopsided game script in favor of Indiana. So I think we finally could see Indiana take a slightly more run-heavy approach. Even if they don't, Stevie Scott is active as a pass catcher. He's three targets in every game this year. I think he'll be contrarian based on some of the other expensive backs in that range. It very much is setting up to be a stars and scrubs approach. So Stevie Scott, Stevie Scott at 7.2K could be kind of in this no man's land, but he is a bell cow seeing a full workload. Do you, I, I mean, it sounds like you agree or even think it's a little light in terms of game script. Like I said, seven and a half points. Do you, do you see Indiana kind of covering that number and maybe even getting up more than that, leaning to more runs for Scott? I do, but man, the Big Ten yeah, has an been, anomaly. It's been wild this year. Like Iowa's a good example. They get blown out twice, and then they absolutely blow out Michigan State and Minnesota. Like, what do we make of that team? They're not on the slate, but the same thing goes for Michigan State team. They beat the Wolverines, and then they get blown out by Iowa. Like, I have no idea if this team is going to show up. It's impossible. Yeah, I mean, Maryland was basically a 30-point dog, and they almost won by 30 against Penn State. Uh, there's some weird, wild things going on. Um, I think Indiana's pretty good. I will say that. I don't know what Michigan State is. I, I watched them against Michigan mostly, but I feel confident that Indiana will, will show up and I think actually play pretty well. So I don't mind going there. I think Scott is interesting at 72 as as leverage. On the other side, Michigan State is a 22.5-point team total. Uh, I, Rocky Lombardi, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan. I'm not going to lie. He's got some weapons, Naylor, Ricky White, who, again, we, we've talked about as a freshman, really emerged. Um, what do you make of them going against an Indiana team here? Reasonable team total, but nothing really that stands out. Yeah, I think that's that's everything with this game. They're all pretty good options just because of the offense, but the team totals are lower. So do you prefer this over, you know, the the teams that are almost projected to score 70 points combined? I'm not sure. This is more of a game I think I'll take some one-off plays, especially in the Indiana side. But Rocky Lombardi is throwing the ball a ton too. Of course, Michigan State has an entirely new coaching staff. Mel Tucker, Jay Johnson, they come over from Colorado to call the plays. And it's been a very pass-heavy and fast offense for Michigan State, partially because they've been losing in a decent amount of games and they haven't been able to run the ball, which is surprising because they returned all of their starters outside of Jordan Reed. Anyway, so Rocky Lombardi, he's throwing the ball a ton, almost 40 pass attempts per game. He has already has two games over 300 yards passing. Indiana's a pretty good defense. I don't know if he gets there today, but with as many pass attempts as we're going to see, he very well could just throw enough raw pass attempts for a guy like Jalen Naylor, or Jaden Reed to get there off volume alone. 
Jalen Naylor is almost averaging 10 targets a game. He's 5.3K. He already has 271 yards. There's also guys like Jaden Reed, who is still running the most routes for this team overall. He's their slot receiver, former Western Michigan player. I think he's a pretty nice cost adjusted play. And Ricky White, their freshman too. Those are where all the targets are being funneled. Just Naylor, White, and Reed. Yeah, it's concentrated, which is nice. And I mean, the backfield is you, unless you're seeing something that I'm not, the backfield is kind of untouchable. Too many guys not not being utilized, possibly because of game script. I don't think that changes here. I don't think so either. It's a weird game. Big 10, man. Very, very shady, but... I do think there's some spots, particularly just to sum up this game for me, obviously, if you're going to stack, you're going to look to these guys, but I don't mind one-offs with mid-range receivers. Like I think they're reasonably placed on both sides of the ball and you can take a piece here or there around some of the stacks that we're going to get to. Um, All right, here we go. Before I do though, chat on this beautiful master Saturday, it's a good time. I'm really glad that we've built this show up, have all you guys with us. I'm going to ask that you hit the like button, though. Show the, show the appreciation. We really do appreciate it. If you want to get more of our content, you hit subscribe on YouTube and the notification bell so you're alerted to all our shows. MMA Live Before Lock will be at some point today, the final look for NFL. And then obviously tomorrow we have a four-hour marathon show. Me and Matt are both part of that. So make sure you guys are in there because we love having the audience. It makes it fun. Here we go. Another game in the Big Ten. <laughs> Penn State looking for uh, for a win here, going to Nebraska. I don't you, – you already mentioned it, but I'm just going to reiterate it. I don't know what to make of these teams. Penn State's a three-point road favorite, over under 56-and-a-half. Indiana kind of took their soul uh, ever since that game. All hell broke loose. I don't even know if they ended up scoring on the two-point conversion. It was very close, but it has created a domino effect. Penn State, obviously, Ohio State's just better than them. They didn't show up against Maryland. What do we do here? Uh, the first question I want to ask you is a little against the grain. Do you think Clifford is even in remote danger of seeing more Will Levis? I don't think so. Levis hasn't even attempted a pass this year. I think it's more just media being like, do we pull the plug on Clifford now? And Clifford hasn't played well, but he hasn't been terrible. Uh, we don't know a lot about Levis. I think Clifford's main problem is just him taking sacks. Like, his passing's been fine. He's nearly averaging 300 yards a game. He is throwing the ball 41 times, so that makes a lot of sense. He's a phenomenal rusher. He has 150 cumulative yards through three games, but that should be much, much higher because he's taking 15 sacks so far this year. And so I watched a lot of Penn State. A lot of those are his fault specifically. I think that's the biggest problem with Clifford is that the rushing upside is really being mitigated by his sacks. They should move to Will Levis. You like, like Will that. Levis? I do. I'm I'm a fan. I remember him a little last year. He got thrown into the fire in one game where Clifford was hurt. I thought he was pretty good. He can really run. Um, I'll say this. If they get blown out here, I actually do think they make that move. But Oh, yeah. He, not, his lease is short, but I, I don't know. I think it's a lot of the media. I, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, all right. Well, let, let's look to the – we'll go to the backfield here. Um, Ford, 54. What, what do you make of it? Just sim- simple as that. I know it's a, a they're a slight favorite. Do you think they can have success on the ground here? And if so, is it a spot to attack with one of these backs? I think eventually we'll see them embrace more run-heavy schemes just because their OC, Kirk Shiraka, he comes from Minnesota, and we've seen Minnesota just absolutely face plant without him. But when they were up in games last year, Minnesota really took a run-heavy approach. Penn State hasn't been able to do that because of game script. I think they will take a run heavier approach if they can get a lead here, which the spread indicates as far as Devin Ford goes, he was just the chalk last week. Everybody played him and he was in a timeshare 
We didn't expect it, but that's actually what ended up happening. So I think as far as trusting him at 5.4K, I don't think he's the safest back. So we, we've already talked about two potential pay down, you know, Blackshear, Sinkfield. These guys are going to open up a ton of salary. Well, you're going to need a ton of salary to play Dotson. He's 8,800. Uh, he's seen double digit targets. He's obviously a fantastic player. 8,800 though. Um, I, I don't know about that. Where, where do you fall with him in terms of, will you pay that price for him? I will not pay that price for him. I think there's better options that are cheaper. And again, I think Penn State will be able to take a run heavier approach than normal. Like Dotson, he's averaging 11.3 targets per game, over 120 receiving yards. He has a 30% target share. All that's fantastic. But Penn State's been getting crushed in all their games. What happens if they end up getting ahead? Yeah. Don't the game scripts have been good. And I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if this team is just completely done or, or they show up today. I, I kind of feel like they will show up. Not super sold on Nebraska. Is there any secondary? You know, they have a good tight end at Penn State and Fryermuth. Anyone else, or is it really pay up for, for Dotson or don't do anything? I think Fryermuth is certainly in play. He he's of course an NFL ready tight end right now. And he's someone that has a very healthy target share in this offense. He's seeing 24% of the targets, over 65 receiving yards per game. And he's a cheap access point to the offense. He's priced right in that same range as, you know, like Fry Fogel. Again, this isn't the most attractive game environment overall in this slate, but Frymer's going to see volume. Oh boy. Yeah, I, he's gonna see volume. No, you're not you're not wrong. There are a lot of mid-range, like from 4,500 to 5,500. I feel like there's a multitude of guys in terms of pass catchers. And we're gonna do our best to try to organize them, prioritize them, because there's just a lot of names that have piqued my interest. On the other side, Scott Frost, Nebraska. I don't know. You know, they're just, they're in the, every year it's supposed to be the year and then it's just not. Um, this year's a little wonky as it is. 27 point team total. Adrian Martinez, obviously there. Mills is someone we're going to have to talk about. Where do we start with this Nebraska offense? They are using two quarterbacks and that is not good for DFS. Start. I mean, it is about time. Adrian Martinez has had more than a long enough leash at this point in his career and he's just not it as a passer. The best trait with both of these signal callers, Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey, is their legs. I wish we would have one because they're both below 6K. And if we get basically a starting running back with some sort of pass volume at that price, I'm very interested. But unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be a split. I'm ashamed. I've done a lot of egregious things over the years. One of the most, maybe. I thought I had at one point, I'm sure I have some tickets. I had Adrian Martinez Heisman tickets at some point in my life. I really thought some things were going to happen with him up there and they have not. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, this Randall, will you, there's no scenario today then when you, where you would go to one of these quarterbacks. I will not be going to either quarterback. No. Okay. So that makes that, does that mean guys like Wandale Robinson who flat 5k, another one in that range, do you have a preference of who is under center? Do you care? Um, or will he be in play for you regardless? Wandale is in play. He is the top receiver for this Nebraska team, plays entirely in the slot. Of course, last year we saw him do just about everything for this offense, running back, wide receiver. So far this year, he has just 13 targets on in 82 yards. Uh, there are some rumors that suggest he might handle a few more carries out of the backfield. I'm not sure I buy that because Nebraska has really tried to strong arm him only into the slot role this year. He hasn't really done anything else. It's an offense that already has quarterback problems. 
I, I would be happier if Luke McCaffrey played quarterback. He's looked better as a passer and he has that dual threat ability. I think that would help Wandale. But again, just not sure what this Nebraska offense looks like moving forward. Dedrick Mills is 5,700 in the backfield. Um, there's some injuries behind him. What do you do here? Is this the spot uh, to attack Penn State? I know they're a slight dog, but that doesn't mean easily Nebraska could win this game and they could be leaning on that ground attack. I do like Dedrick Mills a lot. Penn State's defense has been pretty strong overall, even though they've given up a ton of points. If you look at their what they allow like per attempt, I know a lot of people just like to look at raw yardage, but they're only allowing 3.5 rushing yards per attempt, which is pretty good. I mean, as far as Nebraska's run game, it's really come through their quarterbacks. Dedrick Mills has been extremely inefficient, and I'm not sure why. This is an offensive line that's very good. It returned every single starter this year, and there's a couple NFL guys on the on the offensive line. I don't know if they'll be day one guys, but, you know, like NFL linemen or NFL linemen. So Dedrick Mills not being able to really separate himself, I think, is concerning. The injuries did help. So he had 19 carries last week. He was sort of in a timeshare in their previous week, but Thompkins is the back behind him. If he misses this game, I think Mills would be set up for another pretty sizable workload. Yeah, I, as do I. On the betting side, before we move on, you're the resident Penn State expert of the two of us. <laughs> do they break the seal here? Do they get a win or are they going to 0-4? I haven't bet this game. I would put my money on Penn State, though. Ugh, I think I would... They're playing for Journey Brown, man. They are. Journey Brown, that is brutal. Shout out to him. Really disappointing news there. Uh, But, God, I'll tell you, if they go to 0-4, that would be really, really disastrous. But we will see. I have not betted. I don't think I'm going to. Maybe I'll get in live. I think that game, if Penn State starts slow, I actually might hit Nebraska because I could see it unraveling. Um, But we'll see what happens there. Certainly nothing stands out. There's easier spots. (laughs) So there's always one game that's a little little off the the path here, and we get Middle Tennessee State and Marshall. 24-point spread, 55.5-point total. I tell you, Middle Tennessee State was one of the first teams to play college football this year. They played Army, and they were demolished. When I say demolished, they were crushed in that game, and it's been like that all year. I don't understand their quarterback, who you will talk about in a second, Asher O'Hara, is another guy that I thought was destined for monster numbers and it hasn't materialized 6,600 today. I don't think you want to be messing around with Marshall who is an underrated team. They're very legitimate. Yeah, they are. I think this is the best team that middle Tennessee state has faced this year. Nothing has changed offensively for middle Tennessee state year over year, but O'Hara has regressed a little bit. He's a guy that did rush for a thousand yards last year. He is their essentially their leading rusher on their team. They don't use a lot of running backs. O'Hara is the main guy they rush with. He already has 476 yards, so you really want this guy to get there on the ground, 100-yard bonus. He is live for that. He has passed more this year. He's averaging 32 attempts per game, 216 yards. That that is a little north of where he was last year. But again, his most difficult matchup to date. Do you really want to mess with him against Marshall, I think, is the main question. I will have some of him. He is in play with his legs. So the thing I like about him is that obviously he has a ceiling regardless because he can break a 70 yard, like he's mobile. If he can avoid the sacks, he can give you a floor there. I would be absolutely stunned just looking at it. You know, he's had a couple 300 yard bonuses this year. I'd be pretty surprised if he adds one here. Marshall is anyone that takes a part of UMass football team, you know, has got to be legit. So Marshall can play the backfield, I think is a pretty quick X for me. I'm not going to Mobley. 
anyone else in, in the Blue Raid or whatever their nickname is, backfield? No, Asher O'Hara, he leads the backfield by a significant margin. So if you do go to him, you mentioned you may sprinkle. Is it solo for the rushing upside, or are you going to pair him with someone like Pierce, someone like Wintam, uh, anyone else that catches your eye? I'll probably pair him with Pierce because DraftKings definitely – messed up a couple of the prices on this slate. And Jaron Pierce is their clear wide receiver one, but he's priced at 3.8K, like well below Windham, well below Yusuf Ali. And I don't really have any doubt in my mind that Pierce is the wide receiver one. Anything else from this team? Obviously they're, they're you know, they got a 16 point team total. It's going to be tough sledding today. I probably wouldn't play anybody. I, there have been some guys running some routes, but again, there's just other options on this particular slate. There's no reason to punt with this team, with this Lova total. On the other side, good old Doc Holliday and the gang. Um, it's a good team. Like I said, I don't think they're as, certainly not as good as Cincinnati. And them and Coastal would be an awesome game to see, but they're good. Oh, God, yes. Uh, Grant Wells, 8,900. He's another, like I said, a, a very efficient passer. Problem is, we, we've already talked about guys like De'Ara King, hooker you get a little discount but for me i would rather pay up for that game environment over someone like grant wells yeah for sure grant wells he gets there with efficiency which is fantastic but you do need to pass like a decent amount to still get the 300 yard bonus i mean 27 excuse me 25.7 attempts per game just isn't going to get you there most weeks for him specifically that's led to a 223 yard average through the air and again this team is very much a run first team Wells offers a little bit of that upside, 116 cumulative yards, but it's more just a little bonus for what he gives you as a passer, which today likely isn't going to be that much. So this price, I won't have him. In the backfield, they have a top end running back in in Brendan Knox. He's the fourth most expensive running back on the slate, and that's if Herbert plays. He's in the top three if he sits. 8,500, I mean, again, the the price is reasonable for me. I, I, I think they decimate this team on the ground touchdowns are going to be up for grabs they have nearly a 40 point team total do you pay for him or is that another situation where he's a fine play but there are other guys you like better I think Knox is going to be the top running back in this range and with that he'll probably be the most owned he projects extremely well not only because of his role as a bell cow he's averaging 23 opportunities per game 112 rushing yards which is likely depressed a little bit because they faced a couple of just absolute blowout matchups but Middle Tennessee State's allowing nearly 250 yards on the ground. So any sort of matchups you'd use, Vernon Knox is going to come out as the top back on the slate, or at least close to it. Do you, you know, we've talked about Wells. So obviously, if, you, if you're not going to use him, you're going to get to less Marshall receivers on the whole. Is there anyone here in a one-off situation that you would look to, or all these guys in price points where there's other guys that are in just better games? They have a lot of injuries on Marshall, so I think we don't even have certainty who's going to be on the field. Within the last couple of weeks, they've had Willie Johnson, Talik Keaton, and Brock Thompson all injured. Willie Johnson's return, Talik Keaton and Brock Thompson haven't. I haven't seen a clear update on their status. If they return, I think it's just a pretty wicked rotation. If you want to play a one-off, it would be Xavier Gaines, who's their tight end. He's the one, I think, that wouldn't have his role affected by this. Yeah, I, listen, I, when, the, when you have a total this big, I get it. I'm just not really there. I think you keep it on the ground. Uh, and you'll be just fine here. So that's where I go. All right. I think that was the fifth game. Five up, five. Yeah, five up, five more. We're right on time. I'm steering this ship right into the ground, but we got it. Wake Forest, UNC. This is going to be a wild one. UNC is a 12 and a half point favorite at home over under of 70. 
That is a lot of points. We can start with the Demon Deacons. We know that they're going to have to score to keep up with with Wake, obviously. (laughs) Sam Hartman, I'm not really interested in playing, but I am interested that he's 5,500. I didn't think he would be that low in a game like this. So you can start with him. Do you like him, or are you just not really going to go to a guy that no dual threat ability and I don't know. It, it's still not the, with the, even with a great total, it's still not the best matchup. No, UNC is a good defense and people like to pick on their defense last year. They they started six different corners throughout the course of last year and they all got hurt at various points. Now this year they've been much luckier with their health. So they've actually fielded a very good defense. Hartman, he's going to give you negative rushing yards more than likely takes a lot of sacks, doesn't rush himself. I do think the one redeeming quality with Hartman his numbers are depressed a little bit. So if you just look at what he's averaging, it's 209 passing yards, 25 pass attempts, but he's been in and out of some games here. If you look at just how Wake Forest plays, they are a very fast team and they do skew pass heavy. They're very sensitive to game script. So when they're leading, they're just going to run. When they're behind, they're just going to throw. This game, they project to throw a lot. So I think for that reason, Sam Hartman's maybe an outside consideration, but I still don't think I'll end up with a ton of him. So before, and I want to dive into these receivers, of course, but I just want to ask you, gut feel, where do you think Wake Forest is as a team? They started slow. They've looked better lately, and I guess part of it could be a product of their opponents, but, you know, there's Virginia Tech in there, obviously Q's. I don't know exactly how good this team is. I mean, do you, where do you fall just in that before we dive into the actual players? I bet UNC. Okay, there we go. That's a great way to sum it up. Um, so you're not sold, but on the outside, we've got a bunch of guys and then we'll get to Kenneth Walker, but we have a lot of guys sitting in that 4k range. Uh, is there one that stands out? I've said this multiple times on the show and it seemingly never comes to fruition. I'm a Donovan green guy. I I really like his home run ability. I've bought him in in spots here and there with the upside and it, it hasn't materialized fully. Do you go to him at 41? Would you rather go to Roberson, Beal Smith? How do you prioritize? Are we talking just pass game versus versus um, run game here? Yeah, if you say you go to someone like Hartman, um, is there a particular guy that maybe you'd like to stack up with him? Yeah, I Roberson, I think, is the top play. He's, I mean, like I think he's the second highest graded receiver in the slot in all of college football right now. And he's still shockingly only being used on 55% of dropbacks. Like Dave Clawson, I don't know what he's doing with Wake Forest, but he should play a large role moving forward. He has 41 targets. That's a 25% target share, even on his limited routes. And he like by far and away leads this team in receiving. So 4.9 K, I think he's the primary run back. If you're playing UNC stacks, I do like Donovan green with you as well. He is the player I thought was going to be the wide receiver one in this offense. If you watch him, they're still using him a fair amount. He has 32 targets. He's running way more routes than Roberson, but he's being used downfield and Hartman just hasn't been able to connect with him. We don't have stats like air yards for college, but if we did, Donovan Green's going to be like your your Marquez Valdez-Scantling, unrealized air yards king of college football. It's no shock that you said that because I play MVS all the time. Um, he finally caught a couple, thank God. But it's true. The home, like You see it and it's intoxicating because to me, he has slate-breaking upside. And if he can get loose for a couple, watch out. Now, the floor is not good. Listen, they're a double-digit road underdog here, so I do worry a little about Kenneth Walker. Where do you fall with him? Is it a game script issue? Is it a volume issue? Uh, is it a price issue at 7,400? 
it's a price issue as an underdog here against a very strong UNC defense, not to mention the timeshare with Christian Beal Smith, which is, this is a team that legitimately, when they say they use the hot hand, it's not a joke. They, they do legitimately use the hot hand. They've done this for years. So if Christian Beal Smith breaks off like a 10 yard run on the first play or second play, he'll be the guy that gets the remaining like six carries in that series and that Walker will sprinkle in the rest of the game. So it's very volatile. When we have this kind of situation, I'll just pay Christian Beal Smith at 4,200 rather than the three extra K to get Walker. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you think, and you've obviously stated you bet UNC, so you don't see this staying certainly close. Uh, it would, it would really hurt a guy like that. I did not bet this game. I don't, like I said, I don't know what to make of Wake Forest. Certainly UNC will have a, a stain that can't be unwashed because they lost to Florida state. And that is as bad as it gets. Um, don't get me started, but they do Unless. have a lot of talent. And on the DFS side of things that we're about to talk about them. I mean, it's just been ridiculous. Uh, they're putting up video game numbers. We could start with Sam Howell, flat eight. I mean, you, you got to at least consider him, right? For sure. I think he's one of the best quarterback players in the slate. He's so efficient. And we've seen this for over a year now. People wondered if it was just an anomaly his freshman season. You know, this team, they lost a lot of their defense. Was he just playing a negative game script and having to throw the ball 40 times? That helps. Phil Longo is their OC. It's an air raid scheme he runs but they are far more run heavy this year. And it hasn't mattered for Sam Howell. He's still averaging nearly 300 yards passing on just 29 attempts per game. Part of the reason is he's two of the best receivers in the country and specifically Diami Brown is phenomenal, but this game projects to be a shooter. I think Sam Howell is a very strong quarterback play this week. So it's the age old question. We've got it. We've got Lockett and Metcalf, but the college version is, and they're, they've separated in price, but it's Diami Brown and Daz Newsom. Finally, Finally, Daz Newsom is starting to show some life in this offense. He's 4,300. Do we, do you think that this is like a buy low spot in general, just because he, he just, it, it's a lot of variance to start the season. I've been playing Daz Newsom every single week. Going to continue to do that this week. Yeah. I'm going to continue to play Daz. He's so we do have priors on Daz Newsom. He's a thousand yard receiver last year. He plays in the slot. His targets, I mean, while they haven't been there, he's still running a route on nearly every single drop back. So it's Diami Brown, it's Daz Newsom on the field almost every single play, and then they're rotating their third receiver. Why the targets haven't gone to Daz, I think part of the reason is they just haven't needed to throw as much, and Diami Brown is their alpha, so he's going to see priority. But I think in competitive games, Daz does have a higher ceiling than what we've seen. So if you use Howell, will you have lineups that use both of them, or do you prefer paying down? Is it a little about, like... It, how do you structure it? And then we will get to the, the running backs that like to crash this party. <laughs> the running backs that crash the party. They really do. It's unbelievable. Yeah, they do. I think roster construction is really going to be key this week. I wish we had the Khalil Herbert information. It's like, it's hard to say what I'm going yep. to do right now without that Khalil Herbert information with Blackshear. If he is the free square, I think it's going to really drastically change the slate and you'll have a lot more salary to pay up for some guys like Howell. It's not like Howell's expensive, but if you look at a Howell Dimey Brown stack with Khalil Herbert healthy, like you're going to have to make some tough decisions without Khalil Herbert. I think it's far easier. Do you think it's possible to use Herbert and Herbert uh, Howell as your second QB for sure? Like DRK? Yes. Okay. That's that's a construction that I've been kind of playing with here, and it it seems viable. But like I said, it's not just a passing game. Javante Williams is ninety five hundred because he's unstoppable right now. Uh, 
they're just dominant right now up front. He's fantastic. What's not to like? Unlike Wake Forest, this is a great matchup for UNC, particularly on the ground. It's a fantastic matchup. Wake saw people were commenting, thinking it was a typo that I said Wake Forest defense allows nearly a thousand rushing yards per game. That was hyperbole. They're only allowing nearly 200 yards per game. So just clarifying that, it's a great matchup for both of these UNC runners. It's been really interesting to see them both get there on a week-to-week basis because their volume isn't in the upper echelon. It's not even like Letty Brown volume. Javante Williams hasn't seen 20 carries. He hasn't reached that mark in four straight games now, but he's still averaging 113 rushing yards per game. So he's living off efficiency. They're scoring a ton of touchdowns. And one thing that's really underrated with Sam Howell, I I don't want to call him the Phillip Rivers of college football because he's much better than Phillip Rivers, but he certainly targets the running back position like Phillip Rivers. Combined, Javante Williams and Michael Carter accumulate 20% of this team's targets, which is a ton. And Michael Carter actually has slightly more targets than Javante Williams, but this is a 50-50 timeshare between these guys. I think the efficiency is what's driving the price with Williams, and he's really broken the slate, but there is some opportunity cost with him at that price. So obviously you're getting the major discount. And listen, Michael Carter, we get it. Can you use him? Will you use him potentially with Howell? That's the question I think is the hardest to answer. In college football, people like to bring up I guess just negative correlation between your quarterback and your running back. It makes less of a difference when we have these games total at 70 points, there's going to be some blowouts and there's going to be some teams that probably score 50, 60 points today. UNC is one of the favorites of this bunch. Their implied team total is North of 40. That's higher than some over-unders we see in the NFL. So can you play Sam Howell with Michael Carter specifically? I think so because the target share for these running backs is high. They have, we saw last week, there were a couple of receiving touchdowns from these runners. Even if that's not the case and say he throws the touchdowns to Diami Brown, they're going to score so many points that Michael Carter getting two touchdowns, Sam Howell throwing three is not out of the realm of possibility. It's a great game to target. You're going to have a lot of options on UNC. The injury news, we'll keep an eye on it leading up to lock. Uh, Herbert apparently is warming up. We will see, but that's we knew one of the this, many man. reasons you follow it's- us both on Twitter keep us we'll keep you posted i actually won't but matt will um gotta gotta stay up to rest because if if you mentioned it if black is in it changes not just that there's a domino effect of roster construction that will funnel throughout the slate so keep an eye on that it's a key piece we might get a situation honestly with fuente who is he likes to think he's playing these mind games with his opponents where clue herbert warms up in this game and then he doesn't play I don't know how likely it is, but there's a chance that that is what happens. That is the kind of coach he is. So if we get, so let me ask you this, because this is something I've done in spots and it's, there's a risk tolerance element. Say we get no news, saying nobody knows. Will you play Blackshear in some lineups? Yeah, for sure. This is a timeshare between them. Blackshear is going to see work. And honestly, Blackshear is a fair value at his price if Herbert plays. So if you're playing a guy like Blackshear, it's all upside because if Herbert's active, it doesn't really hurt his projection too much because he's already a fairly solid play at 3.4K, which is flat out too cheap for him. He should be like a 5K player. He should be similar to where like Devin Ford is priced because he does see volume in this offense. They will run a timeshare no matter what. Do you feel the same way about Singfield? I think Singfield would be a more of a bell cow. West Virginia hasn't shown any willingness to run anyone else. They literally haven't given another running back a touch in the last three weeks. It's been just Singfield just Letty Brown. So will would you potentially play Singfield blind? 
If we get the Letty Brown news? No, if we don't. I probably won't. I think Letty Brown's more likely to play than Sinkfield because Letty Brown did gut it out last week. Okay. Then Herbert, you mean, right? Yes, more uh, sorry, okay. more likely yeah. to play than Herbert. Let, Letty you. Brown I- was in and out of the game, but Herbert like played the opening kickoff and then did not reappear. Makes sense. Yeah, I just that's something that I, I think is a little underutilized. If we get no news, there's a million people that want or are and listen, there's nothing wrong with this, but they don't want to take a zero at all costs and they won't err on this, you know, they err on the side of caution. You can get guys that would be triple the ownership for that discount by saying, you know what, I'm gonna fly blind. And then if say they don't play, you're at a huge advantage because if everybody knew that, the ownership would be massive. So keep that in mind if you're ready to take the plunge we've got four games left we go out west we go to the pack 12 usc living well last week uh we've only seen them once obviously 33 and a half point total slovis 8600 if he's going to drop back 50 plus times uh you're going to want to use him i don't know if he'll be doing that here but he's certainly live to hit that bonus each and every week i don't know much about arizona so talk to me about this matchup and what you're doing with slovis we just got, I don't want to backtrack too much yet, but news just came out that Letty Brown is expected to be available today and going to go okay. through warmups. There we go. So that sink field, obviously, um, that's one piece of the puzzle. There we go. One piece of the puzzle. Now we wait on Herbert. Good luck, everyone on that. All right. So we're talking USC. We're talking Slovis. We are. All right. Slovis. He's my favorite quarterback on the slate, to be honest with you guys. I don't think they priced him up enough. And I think we do need to consider a little bit that USC was like in the shootout of all shootouts last week. They they ran over 90 plays. But if we look at what this offense did last year, they're still one of the pass heaviest teams in the country, and they are a fast offense. Slovis, he easily topped the 300-yard bonus. He gives you a little bit with his legs. Last week, he had 20 yards. It's probably going to be between 10 and 20 on a weekly basis, which is fine but they throw so much that he's always going to be live for the 300 yard bonus. They get an Arizona team, not exactly known for defensive football. So I think Slovis is a fantastic play and he's certainly live in stacks. So in the stacks, they've got, you've got options. We talked about this a little last week and, and we saw mostly what you, what you talked about. Umon Ross St. Brown, he's up to 6,700, but he's fantastic. He's on the outside. You've got Vaughn's 52, Drake London, 58. Um, Brew McCoy, I guess, to a lesser extent. What do you make of it? Are the prices in terms of where they should be, where how you would rank these guys? Can you use multiple guys with Slovis? A uh, lot to like in this passing attack. You can definitely double stack Slovis. I, I like to use this example every time Slovis is on a slate because I remember someone won the big DK tournament last year with Slovis triple stacked. They Ooh. did run, I believe it was Amon Ra Vons and Drake London last year. Maybe Pittman was in there, I don't remember. But I, I do think... Double stacks are live with Slovis. I do think they're also priced appropriately. Amon Ra, one, Drake London, two, Tyler Vaughn's three is exactly how I would rank them. So would I, for what it's worth. Um, Amon Ra St. Brown is fantastic. Uh, I think he'll have a game here as well. Backfield, I mean, I have no idea. I don't think it's necessary to spend a lot of time on it. Is there anything that you're seeing from this backfield that's worthy of consideration? I don't think so. Marquise Stepp was someone I looked at early in the week before we had these potential injury situations. He led the backfield committee, but it is still a three-man committee. Don't love it. Probably won't play it. So on the other side, this is interesting. And only in 2020 can we be saying this. Like we've seen teams like TC and West Virginia multiple, multiple times, a ton. 
Arizona, we obviously haven't. Uh, and it's just weird to, to have teams in vastly different situations like this. What do you make of this team? They have a 26 and a half team total. Now, Grant Gunnell was someone that obviously I was not, I, I'm always a, a Khalil Tate guy. So I, I wasn't a fan of this kid taking some of, some of my guys run last year, but I, I'm pretty interested. 5,700, I think as a pay down option, if you wanted to go there, what do you make of Arizona just on the whole? I think Arizona is a fine team to target. Historically, they're they're one of these offenses that has solid peripheral stats. You know, they're fairly pass heavy. Even with a guy like Khalil Tate, they were throwing a lot of passes. I didn't necessarily agree with that given Khalil Tate's skill set. They passed over 50% of the time last year. They also ran 75 and a half plays per game, which was top 20 in the country. So we are getting volume from this Arizona team. They also have a very strong offensive line. They returned eight starters on offense, the line that is, that started at least one game. So this is a team that should be able to pass, protect, and run the ball with some success here. We saw USC was a little bit uh, susceptible to opposing teams' run games. So Ganell, I think, is fine. Again, we like you and I have talked about this, uh, it seems like, weekly now because we get a new team debuting every single week. If Ganell is the next Keaton Slovis, we'll call him, you're never going to see him at this price again. Being 0-0, zero and zero, it, it certainly makes the floors non-existent but it also makes the pricing the most inefficient you'll see all year. Cause we just, nobody knows they didn't play against Utah last week. The game got canceled. As you just talked about, and I'll just frame it again. If Gunnell went out and threw for 400 yards against Utah and Jameer Joyner had 15 catches, well, they'd be a lot more popular and a lot higher priced. They didn't do that. We don't know. Um, I like, I'm just kind of transitioning to these pass catchers. I think Jamari Joyner at 4,700 is a great tournament play. Um, I think he's got some upside. It's a, it's Arizona. I'm not the biggest Sumlin guy. Do you have a priority of these path catchers? Is it him? Is it maybe a pay down with someone like Curry or Castile? How do you order them? It's Joyner for sure, I think, is the number one. He plays in the slot. It's obviously a high percentage area of the field. He was the he, he actually does offer some big playability for the role he plays. Last year, he turned 45 targets into 552 yards. That leads the group of the returning receivers they have back. So I think at 4,700, he'd be the preferred guy I want to play. Arizona just runs a wide receiver rotation. They haven't always done this, but they did it last year. And I kind of foresee the same thing this year, just because they returned a lot of players. In the backfield, one guy they don't return, obviously, is J.J. Taylor. He's on the Patriots now. Gary Brightwell, $5,200. If you don't want to go to the, the passing attack, you think we can attack USC on the ground with, with, with Brightwell? I think you could. Brightwell was pretty efficient last year, and we know that he split time with an NFL back. J.J. Taylor, I think, has outperformed expectations in the NFL. Brightwell last year was very much typecast into kind of a short yardage big back role, and he does fit that well. He's 6'1", 218 pounds, but he was efficient as well. He averaged 5.9 yards per carry, which is nothing to laugh at in this conference. He only had four catches, though, and that's the main issue. I It's not... Gary Brightwell can't catch the ball. It's, you know, in pass catching situations, they certainly just prefer JJ Taylor, who's an NFL receiving back. So can Gary Brightwell do it? I'm, I'm sure he has some pass catching chops. The worry here is, will it be a committee in some sort of fashion? It was last year. I tend to side with Brightwell handling a majority of the work and they do return a bunch of offensive line starters. So it could be a quiet, good spot for Brightwell. I think it's a quiet, good spot for Arizona. Um, Obviously, it's a little freaky betting a team that we haven't played, haven't seen, everyone else has played. 14 and a half, though, I thought that was a good number. I'm not going to lie, at home. Uh, I don't know what to make of USC exactly. So 
I took a little sprinkle on Arizona today. I actually think it's a pretty interesting spot. There's a there's a bad downside. I, I know that because we just don't know. But I, I think this team could be better than expected, particularly on offense. They may not be able to stop Slovis, and that could be a problem. I I think they'll move the ball, though, and I think they will put up some points. I think so, too. Let's go wild. God, backing Kevin someone never works out, and I just – I bet USC last week. That was not good. I'm fighting Herm Edwards, and now they all have COVID, unfortunately. Uh, all right, a couple more games. This is a good one, though. Louisville – where is the sun? My okay, they put it at the bottom. Louisville, Virginia, three and a half point home favorites for the Cavaliers, 66 point total. Again, we're back in business with teams that we've seen a lot of. Uh, not going to be breaking any news. Cunningham over 8K, Hawkins over 8K, 2 2 Atwell, still 6,500. What do you make of Louisville? Pretty condensed offense, in my opinion. Do we pay up for any of these big time players? Yeah, I think there's a lot of merit to doing so. It's a fantastic game environment. Cunningham's been one of the more efficient college football quarterbacks in his career. He's averaging nearly 250 passing yards on 29 attempts. That's a pretty good mark. He also creates with his legs. He has 220 rushing yards. That's despite taking 22 sacks. So if this guy is able to like get away from some pressure today, that very easily could flirt with a 100-yard bonus on the ground. Luckily, Virginia has allowed over 300 passing yards per game. So this guy really has a lot of paths to succeeding today. I think Cunningham could be a contrarian approach to the slate. And one thing we really like is the condensed opportunity share. So he's easy to stack with. Tutu Atwell, I think, is just flat out too cheap for his role in the offense. He has a 32% target share. Yeah, I mean, listen, Tutu Atwell, explosive, price is reasonable, massive target share. The nice thing, though, is even if if it's not him, it's going to be Fitzpatrick. Like, they... It's very condensed uh, with Louisville, and then you've got the backfield. Do you think you can use Fitzpatrick as a secondary option at 44? I think you can. He, he's he been basically their primary secondary receiver, 87% of dropbacks. That's what he's running routes on. Everyone else is basically splitting time. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, would you prefer to go to like Cunningham and Atwell, or do you think, like I said, it's a competitive game. We have Hawkins, who's just, you know, he's going to get the touches. North of 20 seems like a lock. Uh, can pe- catch the ball a little bit. Where, where does he fit in? I think he's finally appropriately priced. This is where he should have been all season. His role is similar to like a Letty Brown, where he's he's averaging currently 21.3 touches per game, 116 yards on the ground. He has seen increased involvement as a receiver in recent weeks, 3.8 targets per game over his last four contests. Based on volume, he should be considered. Yeah, I mean, I think volume is king, and they've shown the ability. I like that he can catch some balls, boost the floor. I didn't bet this another game. I did not bet this game. Uh, three, three and a half seems about right. Weird teams. I don't know what to make of Virginia. They've had a little injury situation. They've looked good. They've looked bad. Brennan Armstrong, 6,500. I mean, it seems like a great spot at home. Uh, as long as you – is he healthy? It seems like he's healthy. Ben, do you remember the last time Brennan Armstrong was on this slate yeah, and, he, and he was super cheap and you and I were just like, we have to lock Brennan Armstrong. Yeah, I believe he did not good things and then he got hurt on top of it. I think that was all the same game. It was all the same game. He finished with negative DraftKings points. So he didn't get the bonus. He, um, no, he didn't get what, the bonus. Who were they playing that day? That was a bad day. I can't remember. NC State, maybe. Or Duke. One of those suspect teams. You know what? Is this a... Uh, is this how we spell redemption this week? Or do we go right back to Brennan Armstrong at 65? 
I love Brennan Armstrong just because of the way Virginia plays super fast, super pass heavy, and he's a good dual threat. There is one significant question with Armstrong. He's hurt and it's a lower body injury. I don't know what it is specifically. Basically the only news I've seen on it is that he's going to wear a knee brace during this game. If you think that significantly affects his ability to rush the ball, I think that's important. And I think you should downgrade Armstrong a big amount. If you think Brennan Armstrong is going to be fine and able to rush at his normal frequency, he's going to be a solid price adjusted play for this team just because of how much they're, they're running plays per game that is and how much they pass overall. If you go, I'm going to keep saying this, especially with these mobile QBs and he's even cheaper. Do you look to use him on his own or do you pair up with Kemp or Jana or somebody else? Uh, To me, it would be Kemp. I know he's a little more expensive, but I think it's worth it if you're going to do it. Do you have a preference there or do you want to just roll Armstrong by himself? I think it's Kemp. I, you could run Armstrong by himself. I think in that situation, you'd have to assume he's healthy enough to get it done with his legs. If you think he's going to be throwing the ball more, Kemp is his number one target. And he very clearly leads the team in targets overall. If you want to isolate targets thrown by Brennan Armstrong, he is far and away the target leader. A lot of Jonas targets came from uh, Lindell Stone, who was his high school teammate. I know a lot of people read into that narrative, but I'm still okay playing Jonah. He's appropriately priced for his role in the offense. He plays in the slot. He's the second most targeted receivers. You can look to him too. Lavelle Davis is egregiously priced considering he's been hurt and he, I don't know what happened. It must've been a mistake. So what do you, yeah, I mean, do you look to, I mean, obviously you're not going to look to him. Um, Is there anyone else on the team backfield or or do we really cover it? I love Tony Poljan. You know, this from, from Mac days. He's a, he was recruited to Central. Excuse me. He was recruited to Central Michigan as a quarterback, and of course, um, their coaching staff transitions him to tight end. And he's a big six seven dude who's really athletic. Actually, he's been running around on about seventy percent of dropbacks. So he's clearly behind Kemp and Jonah. But if you just want a contrarian play who's on the field a lot, he's there. There we go. Hey, Max been good. Akron hot take. Akron's going to win a game this year. You heard it here first. It's funny that that's a hot take. Yeah, but it is. It's really hot. Um, all right. This is the game I wanted to get to. Spread is dropping. I already bet it. I got more than 11 and a half. Everybody's taking Austin College, it seems. Notre Dame is 11 and a half on my screen right now. Going to BC. This was up a couple points higher. I just said I already bet it. I think this is an awful, awful spot for you boys. Coming off the double overtime, COVID-infested field storming that they did in South Bend. Where do you think this team is? Obviously, they are dominant up front. I have to give them that. Kyron Williams, fantastic. Book does what he does. Do you think they'll have success against BC, and will they control the game on the ground? They're definitely going to try. Book is a game manager, only averaging 27 pass attempts per game. Typically, this team is going to rely on the run game. They returned all of their offensive line starters heading into the year, and that's how they've won throughout games. I don't think we see Book unleashed, which makes me think Kyron Williams is the preferred play if you're trying to attack the Notre Dame side. Anything, so, I mean, you just mentioned game manager. No interest in, in any of the receivers on the outside for Notre Dame? Probably not at their prices. McKinley is the cheaper one. I mean, maybe you look to him. I still think it's probably, they run a lot of 12 personnel too, so it's not like we have a lot of clarity with the receivers. Typically, it's Javon McKinley and Bennett Skowronik playing their their two wide receivers roles. They rotate their slot on and off the field. I guess if you want to get creative, Michael Mayer, their freshman tight end, he's clearly worked ahead of Tommy Tremble at this point. 
He was basically their hero in last week's game. Maybe he's a price-adjusted play for you because he's still very cheap. That guy's really good. I have to give him his props. On the other side, uh, revenge narrative for the Notre Dame quarterback, Jerkovic. Uh, how do you think they attack Notre Dame? Because like I said, I like BC in the game. I honestly think BC is going to win. I really do. I know that's extremely hot take. I think it's a bad spot for Notre Dame, though. Do you think they can have success on the ground, or, or were they just going to be throwing it all over the place trying to open them up? Are you buying into this revenge narrative with Phil Yurkovic? Of course. I'm buying it all. I'm buying into this is a terrible coming off a double overtime game against Clemson. BC's been playing better. BC also gave Clemson a little trouble. Um, and again, I know Lawrence wasn't there for either of these teams, but still, Boston College is playing better. I don't think I want to go there at 5,400, but do you think they can have any success against this defense? I think they can have some success. We've seen some teams score on Notre Dame. They do a very strong defense overall. It's not an easy matchup for Yurkovic. He is a quarterback that does a lot, though. This this offense, you and I have talked about this at length, is completely different. They change coaching staffs. So they're playing a lot faster, and they're throwing the ball more. They're the fairly balanced team overall. Yurkovic is averaging 35 pass attempts per game. He's now hit the 300-yard bonus a couple times. He has good dual threat ability, which we don't really see in the box score numbers because he takes a ton of sacks. That's certainly going to be problematic against Notre Dame. But he's gotten it done, and he did face good competition this year, notably Clemson. Yeah, I, listen, I, I I think it's a little tougher on the DFS side of this game. I like BC. In the betting market, I think Zay Flowers is kind of interesting as a home run play. Um, anything else? Are you nervous? That's the most important thing. Are you nervous that your playoff hopes are going to get uh, coffined right here? No, I don't. I don't care if they make the playoff, man. I just like college football. I'll watch whoever's in the playoff. You should hope that they make the playoff because every year they do, they're like a 12-point underdog. They lose by 50, and then Brian Kelly's just like, you know, these 50-50 games, they can go either way. We just didn't make those few plays. Like, no, no, bro. Um, I'd rather they didn't make it so they play in the pinstripe bowl again, and then I see those stupid baseball uniforms they wore last year. That's fair. That's that's a good counterpoint. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know all too well. I almost went to the pinstripe bowl, but it was, it was so windy and cold. That was not going to happen. But yeah, I, I know all too well. All right. A couple minutes left here. One game. They they grouped it with all the postponed games. It was hiding. It's Baylor and Texas tech. (laughs) We go to the big 12. Uh, Listen, Baylor's a team that we both, I don't think we're the biggest fans of. Out there, 55-point total in this one. Baylor's the slightest one-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Floor is yours. What do we do with Baylor? I think you probably avoid them more than likely. I think they're one of the biggest disappointments in college football. Their new coaching staff has really disappointed overall. I think a lot of the problems do stem from the offensive line. Charlie Brewer is not a quarterback that's able to create on his own. So if he's not in an optimal game environment, we're seeing what happens to this Baylor team. They can't run the ball. He's taken 17 sacks already this year. Those sacks mitigate his dual threat ability. And then he doesn't have time to efficiently throw. And we see just 223 yards on 35 pass attempts. It trickles down to the entire offense. Yeah, miserable. You mentioned this, I believe, last week. It was so bad that Ebner temporarily opted out. Um, It's just a disaster. I don't see anything on this offense on backfield or on the outside. Uh, They're all in that 4 to 5K range. We named about 20 players that are reasonable targets in that same range across this slate. On the other side... Texas Tech, it's Columbia's team now, um, or is it, question mark? That, that's really where I'm confused. I don't know what they're doing. I didn't think they should have went to him. 
Is this a murky situation or, or do you think one of these quarterbacks will have full reign to at least give themselves the first crack at it? I highly doubt one of them has full reign. Columbia has been so bad in his play this year. Which he really it, has. And I don't understand. I'm not the coach of Texas Tech. I don't know what goes on in practice, but we've seen Alan Bowman have success. I don't know why Columbia's had such a long leash to this point. I think Bowman is the better one for DFS, but it looks like it's going to be a timeshare. So we can't really target either of them. Even though it's uncertainty, the last thing, and then we'll bounce on out of here. Is there anyone, uh, Eric Azukama, TJ Vash, anyone on the outside that's worth a one-off? Eric Azukama is the wide receiver one. He's the only one who runs a route on a significant portion of the dropbacks. He's easily their target leader. Vasher is interesting because he's coming off an injury, so his role could expand. I'm not sure that it does, though. Look at that. I'm with you. I think this is a, is it, we, we opened with an underwhelming game. We close it out with an underwhelming game, but there's a lot to like in the middle. It's a good slate. Like I said, chat, it's always fun hanging out with you guys. 10 up, 10 down for us. Follow Matt on Twitter. Follow myself on Twitter. Handles are there. Stay tuned. The NFL show is coming up next. Final look, Greg Ehrenberg, Jeff Ulrich, a lot more going on. Good luck, everyone, today. Me and Matt will catch you guys tomorrow. Not same time, same place, but we'll see you there for the NFL. See that, see that ending? We'll, woo, let's get it on the runway there. <laughs>